Amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I want to welcome uh, all of our guests today. Uh, we know we have a number of folks who are out over this holiday weekend. We have our annual family encampment, and we have a larger than normal group at our family encampment, so that's really good, but we really feel it in here this, uh, today, this morning. If you're watching online, we're certainly glad you've uh, tuned in to watch us. Uh, we'd love for you to, to send in to us, fill out this welcome card online and send that in. That would be awesome. And uh, we'd love to know where you're from as you're, uh, as you're watching. Good to have everyone with us today. Uh, I've met several guests already. Understand on Friday it was Margie Andrews' birthday, and she has a whole row of her family with us. And so we're just glad to have you all with us. It's awesome. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. <clears throat> I also noticed Joanne Smith has her uh, son and daughter-in-law uh, with us as, as well, Mark Smith and his wife, so good to have them as well, uh, and a lot of other, yeah, let's well, give it up for them. A lot of people who are visiting with us today, glad that you're, glad that you're here. I want to remind you that uh, we're about ready to begin our ladies' Bible class. Uh, that's going to begin uh, on the, the uh, 14th of September on Tuesday. Nancy Ash and Donna Macon will be teaching that class. And so want to welcome and invite all of our ladies to be a part of that who would like to join that uh, on Tuesdays beginning on the 14th. So this week in my uh, daily Bible reading, I was in the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> and I came to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And one of the things that the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, wants us to understand is that there's, there's a certain rhythm to life. Uh, we go through these, these various seasons. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 4, it says this, There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, and a time to mourn and a time to dance. There are those times when, when we experience weeping, but then there are other moments when we experience laughing, mourning, and also experience celebration. And so last Sunday morning, we looked at the idea of lament. And we said it's important for, under, for us to understand that lament is really a way for us to bring all of our pain to God. It gives language to our pain. And we also said that lamenting is really prayer. It's, it's when we take our hurts and give them to God, and then we begin to trust Him more deeply, even in those seasons of our lives where, where we're experiencing difficulties. We said that God himself even weeps and laments. We see that in the life of Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then there's that, there's that moment in Jesus' life in John chapter 11 when, when Jesus goes to see Mary and Martha. They just lost their son Lazarus, or their, I'm sorry, their brother Lazarus. And there Jesus is standing in front of the tomb, and it says in verse 35 that Jesus wept. It wasn't that just some tears formed in his eyes and he, he was a little misty-eyed. No, Jesus wept. The tears were flowing down his beard. His chest is heaving as he's feeling deep pain. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus in just a few moments. But still, he's relating to Mary and Martha who are experiencing such deep pain. There are seasons of lament. Sometimes there's time to weep. But there's also time to celebrate and time to dance. You know, this has been a really difficult season. Uh, it's been difficult in a lot of ways. The last couple of weeks have been hard. 
as we read stories coming out of Afghanistan and we lose 13 of our service members at least. And we read stories about how through uh, the devastating storms, uh, nearly 20 lives were lost in, in Waverly in the western part of central Tennessee. But it really it's been a difficult season. The last year and a half has been pretty tough. I've probably done more funerals this last year and a half than I can ever remember doing. And while this has been a difficult season, there's also a time to not just lament, but also a time to celebrate, a time to dance. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about and I want to ask, what are some things that God celebrates? What brings the Lord joy? What should give us deep and lasting joy? And so in the midst of the heaviness of the last few months, I, I really, I don't know about you, but I really could use some joy. I read a quote from Carrie Newhoff this past week that kind of resonated with me. Newhoff said, in 2020, we all thought we were running a marathon. Just when we thought we were finished, someone handed us a bike and a bathing suit. Then 2021 revealed that actually it's not just a triathlon, it's an Ironman. And that is true. It's, it's been an Iron Man. But really, this now brings us to that beautiful story that I never grow tired of hearing and I never grow tired of preaching. It's found in Luke chapter 15. And if you have your Bibles, you may want to open to that passage of Scripture. And really, in many ways, this is a chapter about joy. Because it seems everybody in the story is experiencing a measure of celebration. And so we read about a shepherd who loses his sheep and he finds one. And what does he do? He celebrates. And we read about a woman and she loses a coin and she turns her house upside down. I mean, she, she looks all over the house for that coin that she loses. And when she finds it, what does she do? She celebrates. And then there's that story about a dad. And that's the story that resonates most with me. And that's the story I want us to take a look at today. And that last story, it, it captures my attention, it captured my imagination because it begins this way. There was a man who had two sons. And when I read that, I immediately think, well, I've got three sons. And I know how precious all of those boys are to, to us. And so here's a man, he has two sons. And so as Jesus begins telling the story, I lean in just a little bit. I want to hear what he's going to say next. And so one day, the youngest son comes to his dad and he says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And that sounds kind of abrupt to me. Give me my share. And amazingly, the father goes ahead and he divides his inheritance. He distributes his estate even before he dies. Now, this was occasionally done, but it was pretty rare. And it's almost like this young man is saying to his dad, I wish you would go ahead and die so I could get on with my life. And so the father distributes his inheritance and it doesn't take long before that son gets all of his things together. He takes the money and he heads out of town. He can't get out of town quick enough. And he runs as far as he can away from his father. He's not looking for the party. He's going to create his own party. And with that money in his back pocket, oh, he's going to have a blast. 
And at first, running from the Father, it, it feels like freedom. But we'll see in just a moment. It doesn't take long before his newfound freedom feels more like bondage than anything else. And Jesus tells us what the Son does with his freedom. Jesus says this in verse 13. He squandered his wealth in wild living. He squanders his wealth in reckless living. Oh, he's having a ball. He's the life of the party. And everyone is invited. It's all on him. He's got plenty of money. This kind of, this guy feels, this kind of living feels great until it doesn't. It's kind of like the guy who goes skydiving and man, he jumps out of the plane and it feels great and he feels free and then he realizes he doesn't have on a parachute and at that moment things got really complicated for him. At this moment in this young man's life, things get very complicated. He spends all his money, there's a famine in the land, and he begins to be in need. And so he ends up getting it, the only job he could get. And here's this Jewish boy. He finds himself feeding the pigs. He is at a very low point in his life. He's so hungry that he fills his stomach with what the pigs are eating. He left feeling the euphoria of freedom. And now the word that could be best used to describe him is the word empty. He's empty. And so verse 16 puts it like this. It says, he longed to fill his stomach. And at the end of the verse it says, but no one gave him anything. The irony is, he gave everything he had and he gets nothing in return. And brothers and sisters, that's the world's math. We give everything and we get nothing. In many ways, some of us are like that young man. We go trying to fill our lives with things that are shallow, sometimes temporal, always, uh, sometimes immoral. And we know that God alone can completely fill that empty place. God alone is the one who gives us this deep sense of joy. Here's what this boy is now just beginning, I think to learn about joy. He hasn't completely learned the lesson, but it's slowly dawning on him. And it's this, that lasting joy, real joy, is found with the Father. Life with the Father is far better than life in the far country. And I think that thought is what ultimately draws him back to his Father. And so the boy has finally had enough, and he decides that he's going to go back to his father. While the far country offers all sorts, promises all sorts of freedom and happiness and adventure, it falls fall, far short in what it truly offers. It doesn't live up to its, to its billing. And so he makes this decision to go home. Jesus describes what happens next in verse 17. When it says, when he came to his senses. Literally that phrase could be translated, when he came to himself. You see, here's what sin does. Sin alienates us from our true self. 
from our best self, from the self we were created to be by our Father. You see, we were created by God, like God, for God. You could say that conversion is both coming to yourself as well as coming to God. And so he makes that important decision. He's going to begin the journey back to the Father. He's going to take one step back to his Father. I'm wondering today, for some of you in this room who feel far away from God, what step do you need to take as you begin your journey back to the Father? As you begin your journey back to a place of lasting joy. So he makes that decision, begins the journey. You may recall earlier when he was with the Father, he said to him, give me my inheritance. And now, now he has nothing. He squandered it all. He goes back empty-handed. And he goes back with the intent that, that I, I know I'm not going to have the privileges that I once had. I know I'm not going to be his son, but, but I'm going to go back like a hired servant. And so as the boy is walking along, making his journey back to the father, if we listen carefully, we might just hear his speech. You see, the boy has developed this, this speech, something he's going to say when he sees his father. He's going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your, your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He may be wondering how his father will receive him. He may be wondering what his dad will say. What will his dad do? We don't have to wait long in the story before Jesus tells us. And Jesus, in verse 20, describes this awesome dad. And so it says, but wow. He was still a long way off. Notice it says his father saw him. His father saw him because his father was looking for him. His father was waiting for him. His dad was longing to see him. We imagine that every day, this, this dad, he walked outside his home and he looked across the horizon and he wondered, would this be the day that my son will come home? Will this be the day that I get to see my, my son once again? And so, I want you to know today that the Father sees us. The Father sees us even when we've forgotten about Him. The Father sees us long before we find the Father Again, And then Jesus continues as he describes his dad. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Notice, he was filled with compassion for him. This father was not ambivalent or indifferent about his, his son. This father wasn't even angry at his son. This father had a heart filled with compassion. And then what happens next it's absolutely stunning. Here's this middle-aged man. Here's this person with servants at his beck and call. Here's this man who's got, who's got a great farm and, and this man who has a significant amount of wealth. He's got dignity. He's got a certain decorum to withhold, uphold. What does this father do? Jesus tells us. It says he ran to his son. Do you understand? We serve a God who runs. It's like the old preacher used to say, I love to quote him. He used to say, the only time God gets in a hurry is when he runs 
to meet a sinner. And when the father sees him, he throws his arms around him, he embraces him, he begins to kiss him. And then that boy of his, he begins giving his speech. He begins saying the things that, that he prepared to say on his way. He begins saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. But before he could even get most of those words out, the dad says, quick, quick, bring the best robe, he says, and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, he says, and is found. We see incredible joy in the Father, and I think the Son is experiencing amazing joy because at the heart of joy is forgiveness and grace. Everybody in the story, have you noticed this? Everybody is celebrating. Everybody's celebrating but one person. In fact, we may have even forgotten him. We didn't even read it. We often forget it. If I look in my Bible, right above Luke 15, the editors of my Bible have put the phrase, the parable of the lost son. And it prepares our hearts and minds to think about only one son. But see, the story begins by Jesus saying, there was a man who had how many sons? He had two sons. And so I want to suggest to you today that this really is not the story of the lost son. This is the story of the lost sons. And so there's an older brother, and the older brother comes up near the house, and he, he hears some music, and he, he says to one of the servants, he says, well, what, what's going on? And the servant says, haven't you heard? Your brother is back home. And so there's music, and there's dancing, and there's an incredible celebration. There's a lot of joy, and you know how the story goes, right? Then the older son says, good, I'm, I'm coming to the house. And the older son comes to the house, and there he sees his, his brother, and he embraces his brother, and he sees his dad, and he's filled with joy and says, I can't believe our, my, son, my brother is now home. You know that's not how the story goes. The son, the second son, the other brother, as Jesus says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He was filled with jealousy and resentment, and he had no joy. Understand, jealousy and resentment will steal your joy. There's plenty of joy up at the house, but there's no joy outside. He can't even bring himself to describe his brother as my brother. He says to his dad, this son of yours. He's bitter and resentment about a resent, a resentful about all of the attention that his younger brother is receiving. Listen to the older brother's complaint where he says, all these years I have slaved for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I think we get a hint 
at the reason behind his lack of joy in his own words. He says, notice, I have been slaving for you. His interaction with his father was more about rules than a loving relationship. And a rules-based religion leads to a check-the-box, sterile kind of legalism. And so as we said, this is a story of two lost sons. One son was lost in rebellion, and the other son is lost in legalism. One son was lost in the world, and amazingly, the other son, well, he was lost in church. At the heart of our joy is grace. One brother, he needed to learn to receive it. And I think he learned that lesson. He, he was coming back to the Father with the intent of only being a hired servant. That, that's how my relationship with my, with my Father will be now. And yet the Father would have none of it. The Father lavished him with grace. He threw his arms around him and said, let's, let's have a celebration. He received grace. The other brother needed to learn to extend it. And we're not told what he eventually does. It's important for us to understand and for us to see how the father treats his boys. He treats both with a lot of compassion. The father, he's standing outside with his older brother, pleading with, older son rather, pleading with him to join the feast. And he looks at him and he says, everything I have, it's all yours. And we wonder how he responded. Our greatest joy, our deepest joy, is in the presence, being in the presence of the Father. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. There's a time to weep, but friends also know there's a time to celebrate. To celebrate all the good things that God is doing. To celebrate the new people that God is sending us and who are joining our journey. To celebrate things like the amazing contribution we had over the last week for all of those folks who were affected by the storms in, that affected Waverly and also Haiti. We gave over $30,000 to bless people in Waverly and also in Haiti. But ultimately, we celebrate God, God's grace, and God himself. Jana told me a story this past week that really, I think, helps me to understand the nature of true joy. My wife said, Kevin, I, I tried to do everything right. And so I went to a Christian college. And there I met a Christian man who was a Christian leader. And we were involved in, in ministry together, in campus ministry while we were in college. Her junior year, they decide to get married. And she leaves college and he graduates and they go on this incredible adventure. But it didn't take long for her to realize that he didn't have much interest, interest in ministry or marriage 
And at 26 years old, she found herself in a place she thought she would never find herself in. She was divorced. And so she stayed with her mom and dad for, for a month. And then she decided, I'm going to Austin. And so she got a good job, found a great church, and she poured herself into ministry. And she eventually became part of an organization that did women's retreats for women missionaries. And she traveled leading worship all over the world. Had all kinds of great experiences. But she said, I felt like something was missing. I, I, I always wanted to be married and I, I wanted children. And one year turned into two, ten, turned into five. And she dated two or three guys, but really it wasn't right. And finally... She'd been single for nine years. And she said, one day I, it dawned on me. And one day, I, I, in fact, I prayed and I just said this to the Lord. I said, God, you're enough. You are more than enough. My deepest joy is found in you. If nothing ever changes in my life, that is okay. I am blessed and I'm most blessed because I have you. And six months later, she meets a widowed minister who has three kids. And a year and a half later, we marry. She learned something that we often forget. Our deepest joy is not found in another person. Our deepest joy is not found when everything is just as we wish for them to be. Our deepest joy is found in God himself. And he, he fills that emptiness. And he, he blesses our lives in ways that we could never expect. And so this morning, I'm wondering, do you have an emptiness in your soul? God alone can fill that, and he will bless your life with joy. I'm wondering, do you feel far from God? Then what step do you need to take today to draw closer to him? Maybe for some of you in this room, the step you need to take is that ultimate step of faith where you say, I'm ready, God, to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to turn away from that old life. I've been running from God long enough. I'm going to turn to God. And the good news is from this text is God will run to you and he'll throw his arms around you. Here's the truth of the matter. Some of you are sitting there thinking, I know God will love me one day. I know God will love me if I get my life cleaned up, if I get everything just right. Do you understand? Here this son was who's in the far country. He still has the stench of the world on him. He turns toward God to come back home. And while he has the stench of the world on him, God runs to meet him and throws his arms around him and loves him. This morning... Perhaps you need to take that step of faith. We would love to help you with that. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. I'll be down front. We'll have a couple of elders in back. If we can help you in any way, we would love to. Come as we stand and sing.